Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week. I'm Katrina Liebrich with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Yero, an amateur curator of fish stories. <laughs> it's Monday, February 1st, 2021, and we're excited to talk about all the fish. This week's fish is the lamprey. Our guests today are Trent Sutton from the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Hi. How's it going, Trent? Good. How are you? Good. And we've also got Sabrina Garcia with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Hey, Sabrina. Hey, Katrina. Thanks for having me. We just never get to talk about lamprey, so we're so excited. Exciting. Lampreys are fascinating. They're ancient from an evolutionary standpoint, and we've got more than one kind in Alaska. And Guy, I know you've got some really special feelings about them. Well, I just want to start out by most of the fish that we are going to talk about on this podcast, there is no question that, uh, that they are a fish. They meet everyone's sort of definition, but this is the one group of fishes that we have that I think might need to be defended as fish. Uh, because talking from uh, kind of a phylogenetic standpoint, uh, most of the, the fish that we have are going to be within the Actinopterygii, the ray-finned fishes, and they are more uh, closely related. That is, that they share a more recent common ancestor with, you know, birds and mammals than they do with the fish that we're about to talk about, the lamprey. These fish are so ancient that their evolution actually predates Jaws. And I don't mean that Spielberg movie. I mean actual hinging, biting anatomy. These species of fish have existed since before any animal developed that kind of biological technology. Now, what they do have is like an oral disc that they can use to suck and hold on to things. But despite this innocuous name of the oral disc, uh, the business end of a lamprey is something straight out of a horror film. They aren't large fish, so they don't elicit the same kinds of reactions to, say, great white sharks. But I tell you, a 20-foot lamprey would make a perfect movie monster. So that's one thing that I definitely want to talk to our guests about today is uh, whether this actually even is a fish. Okay, so first things first, um, can one of you describe what a lamprey looks like for us so folks listening can get an idea? Yeah, sure. So we have five species of lamprey in Alaska. They look very different than most fish. They have that sort of very... um, foreboding looking mouth structure with the with the teeth that most people kind of get freaked out about they use a to latch onto the side of fish and hang there and rasp a hole in the side and and drink their blood like a vampire commonly people mistake lampreys as eels you hear people refer to lampreys as eels quite often so they they have a very eel-like appearance they're elongate cylindrical um, ranging anywhere from a couple of inches to a couple of feet in length but they're not eels. They don't have paired fins, which is one of the differences you see between a lamprey and an eel because the eel does have pectoral fins. They have gills like fish do, but different, and they don't have a, a, an operculum like that gill flap uh, where the gills reside. They have these, they have a brachial basket. So you see this sort of elastic basket on the side of the head with these holes on the side, and that's where the water flows in and out. They are fish for sure, but they are very, the, probably the, the least fish-like of the fish. Maybe hagfish or, or maybe, which are pretty close related to lamprey, are, are, are not very fish-like either. But there's definitely some clear distinctions between them and, and other fish species. Super cool. Thank you. So I'm curious, Sabrina, how, how do people go out if they want to try to interact with this, this really cool fish? How do they go and do that? So there's a really amazing Um, commercial and subsistence fishery for one of the lamprey species, the Arctic lamprey. 
the Yukon River has about 40 villages along its length. And some of the villages in the lower and middle river, once the ice freezes, they actually go out and they um, cut holes, these rectangular holes in the ice, and they use either dip nets or eel sticks. And eel sticks are basically like a two by four wooden plank that they um, hammer nails into. So as the, these lamprey runs migrate through their villages, kind of like a salmon run where they come in these pulses and they pass by these villages in these like dense concentrations. And they've got all sorts of cues for when they think the lamprey runs are going to make it through their village. They go uh, cut these holes in the ice and essentially just dip out these these Arctic lamprey from from the ice. And starting in 2003, they had a subsist. It was typically a subsistence fishery. And starting in 2003, um, they actually started to fish for them commercially using those same traditional gear types. To my knowledge, there isn't recreational fishing for lamprey just because it just takes really specialized gear. It's not like, you know, when you go ice fishing, you've got a rod and reel, you put some bait on it. They're like salmon. By the time they start their migration into the river, they're not feeding anymore. So by the time they come in, their focus is on getting to their spawning grounds and spawning. So it would be pretty tricky to fish for them recreationally, I think, unless you went out in the ocean when they were feeding and happened to you know, get one of the uh, Arctic lamprey that wants to, to predate on another fish. When these lamprey enter the river to go to undergo their upstream spawning migration, they're extremely lipid rich. They're, they're basically little bags of fat. And, and they, they don't feed at all from the time they enter the river until they spawn. So if they're entering the river as early as September, they're spawning usually the next June or July. That's a pretty long period of time to go without feeding. And we had some, we had some shipped up here last, uh, last year. Um, we received them in October and the very last one finally um, died in the beginning of September last year. So it went almost 11 months without feeding in the lab before it finally huh. expired. They are really great bait, I've heard, for ice fishing. So whenever we, we take samples from the commercial fishery and get um, measurements on length and identify sex, and we always have folks asking us for the, the lamprey for some bait for their burbot ice fishing. So I've heard it's great mm -hmm. bait, but maybe not a target recreational species. <laughs> I do have an anecdote to add to that from a recreational standpoint. So I know of two situations where, um, or two cases where people have been out ice fishing for burbot. Um, so they have set lines out in the, in the Tanana river here locally and have caught somehow Arctic lamprey on their hooks. So I don't know if they're just oh. swimming by and somehow get hooked on their line or if they're attaching to something that, maybe hooked or maybe a burbot that's been hooked. I, I'm not sure exactly, but uh, so not directly trying to catch them recreationally, but incidentally catching them using recreational gear. And, and I will verify that they do make excellent bait. Actually, I, I think you can also, and people, have, I, I, when I've been out collecting larval lamprey in town, especially in, in Fairbanks in the Chena River, I've had people come up and ask me what I'm doing. And then they talk about going, they, they, the way they go and harvest larval lamprey to use as, as burbot bait is to go dig for them. So they'll, they'll uh, take a, oh, wow. a, like a five gallon bucket and cut the bottom off of it. And then they can scoop mud into that, or they can just go shovel it out and, and dump it up on the shore and then pick through it and pull out the larval lamprey. And oh, I think wow. you're allowed to do that. I believe, I think fishing game allows that. Um, I'm not sure all the regulations along with that, but, but they are used as bait and they apparently make great bait, which makes sense because I've seen, 
I've been out, I've been out um, electrofishing for larval lampreys and I've seen burbot come up behind me and pick off lamprey they're swimming by. So they like to eat them. Yeah, it makes sense with them wow. being kind of a bottom a bottom fish. We actually talked about burbot, what, a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, that's, a, that's really interesting. Hmm. Hey there, everyone. One thing we want you to always keep in mind, regardless of what you're fishing for, is safety. Every week, we're going to give you one or two tips that you can use to stay safe while you're angling. Today we're talking about some of the equipment that you will want if you do end up going through the ice. The first tool is a flotation device, whether this is simply a life jacket that you have under your coat or a specially designed inflatable suit. You'll want something that can help buoy you up while you're in the water. The next piece of equipment are ice picks. These look similar to large corn cob holders that are designed to be worn around your neck. Wet ice is slippery and you can use these to pick into it and help pull yourself out of the water. Finally, you're going to want either a dry bag or a dry box. You can use this to store a cell phone, space blanket, and possibly a change of dry clothes. Anything that you don't want to get wet should be kept in this container, so it'll be usable if you do end up getting soaked. Hopefully, you'll never have to use any of this stuff while you're out ice fishing, but as my father used to tell me, better to have them and not need them than to need them and not have them. So I have to ask, have you guys eaten a lamprey before? I never have. It seems like this is uh, kind of a group of species that people really used to eat a lot. I mean, you look back at like the European records uh, up in like the Baltic countries, England, Scandinavia. Uh, this was historically a fish that was eaten a lot, but that uh, ever since people kind of came over here, uh, they haven't been uh, super popular. I was reading somewhere that the coronation pie for Elizabeth II, the Queen of England, uh, was actually a lamprey pie. Yeah, I read that King Henry of England, uh, he like lustfully would eat lamprey. Um, and in fact, they said he might have just died from overeating um, lamprey in particular. But yeah, it's, it seems like it was a very popular dish. So it'd be kind of neat to maybe revive some of those old recipes that are online. Yeah, one of the ways that I know lamprey prepared over in in sort of Western Europe, so non-England, like Spain and Portugal, is they, um, I've heard, they hang them above a frying pan, they cut their heads off so that the blood drains out into the frying pan, and then they, and then they, once the blood is all sort of drained out and collected, they they drop the lamprey into the frying pan and fry them up in their blood and, and eat them that way. Wow. <laughs> hmm. Now, of course, uh, we've mentioned that this is a subsistence fishery, and I was just wondering if uh, any of y'all have ex- know how uh, Alaska natives uh, go about preparing uh, lamprey. One of the one of the methods that I've heard is they they cook it into this kind of like almost like a lamprey spread, um, and they take it. They'll spread it on on bread, or they'll just eat it straight, and they'll take it out with them during winter hunting because because it's so fatty it it keeps pe- keeps folks pretty warm when they're out there in the cold um so i think that's a pretty popular way to eat it i actually got to eat one this last year and it was actually really good it kind of tasted like i don't know if you guys have had salmon bellies or salmon cheeks but yeah that really kind of rich fatty flavor um I, I, it was pretty good but i'll try anything so i was really sad that you had such a like great experience eating lamprey <laughs> 
Um, and I wish that I had gone over to your house to try it for the first time. Um, because yep. the first time I tried it, we had cooked it two different ways. We smoked some first and the amount of fat and that had dripped off of these lamprey, like we had a bucket underneath the smoker that we were constantly having to take out. Oh, wow. Um, unfortunately, my friend's dog got into that bucket and con- con- ate all of the oil and proceeded to like projectile vomit a little bit later because this was <laughs> Like so much oil from these fish. Too much. So we made it that way, which I did not <laughs> did not like at all because it's just like eating the most like the fishiest fish you can ever think of that's just soaked in oil. Um, and then we decided mm-hmm. that maybe if we pancoed it and then fried it and served it with, you know, eight pounds of tartar sauce, we might be able to stomach it. And if it's fr- if it's breaded and deep fried, you can. You can have some, but Anything's it sounded good. like you guys really loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was really good. I had to show this. <laughs> so I know no one else could see this, but the folks yeah. here, but so it's a can yeah. of, it's, it's written in Japanese, so I can't read any of it. So a few years ago at the Alaska AFS meeting in Anchorage, um, I met a, a biologist who was from Japan and he gave me this bottle of, of um, it's got a lamprey on the front of it. It's an orange bottle. And apparently one of the one of the uses of lampreys, um, they make fish oil pills out of these. So there's actually, this is full of, just like you would buy, you could buy fish oil, these little pills. Now I've not eaten any of these um, and I'm reluctant to do so. I, I Some of my graduate students have, um, they volunteered <laughs> to eat some and they said they were extremely fishy tasting. So um, I've not been so courageous enough to try to try to eat one or not, but. I probably need to put that on my list of things to do at some point in time. That's awesome. No, we really appreciate you guys coming on the show and I learned a lot and they're really a fascinating fish. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot to learn about them and yeah, potentially, you know, ways for folks to interact with them, whether it's seeing them in the water or learning about some of these subsistence fisheries or eating them at a market in Seattle or wherever. That's super cool. So thank you. Anytime. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much, Trent and Sabrina. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebick, and my co-host is Guy Eero. This show is produced by David Hoffman of Citizen Racecar, assisted by Garrett Tiedemann and Kelsey Kors. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. As the service reflects on 150 years of fisheries conservation, we honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individuals, tribes, the state of Alaska, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish. 